Welcome to Addiction and the Family, Episode 3, Recovery in the Time of COVID-19. How has addiction affected your family? It robbed me of my father. Addiction's affected my family in absolutely every way. Um, it has caused a lot of turmoil. It goes back to what I understand is at least three generations. It robbed my daughter of her mother. It robbed my mother of her daughter. Addiction has made our family quite challenging. Addiction affected my family tremendously. Uh, it's affected my relationship with my sister where I wouldn't, I'd go for months without talking to her. It's a very difficult thing for everybody involved. It doesn't just affect the, the one individual. It's a disease that affects the whole family. Addiction has spread not only genetically through like some of my uh, relatives and I assume ancestors. It's uh, generational. I think of him every day. Welcome to Addiction in the Family. My name is Casey Arriaga. I'm a licensed master social worker and addiction counselor at both Winbo Wellness Ranch and In My Dad Emotional Wellness Centers in Texas, and I've been facilitating family workshops since 2009. But just as importantly, I'm a family member, like many of you. Addiction shows up throughout my family tree. I was raised with addiction, I embraced it for decades of my own life, I'm married to someone with addiction, and I've been in recovery since 1998. It's from all of these perspectives that I want to offer you experience, strength, and realistic hope. Join me as we explore addiction in the family and how to find recovery together. In this episode, we're going to be talking about recovery in the time of COVID-19, something that was barely on our radar when we released the last episode. Since then, the entire country has gone on lockdown and there's practically nothing else on the news. Kira decided to produce this special episode talking about how to find and maintain recovery for both people with addiction and their family members. Without further ado, here she is. Captain's log, stardate 42020.5. After six unsuccessful missions, we have finally procured a supply of toilet paper. The ship's food stores are once again full, but the crew seems to be suffering from a combination of fear and boredom as a deadly virus infects the surrounding fleet. Our only recourse is to hold steady and wait for the science team to find a cure or a vaccine. So one of the things that Kira did in response to this outbreak was to immediately start thinking in terms of talking to people in recovery, both people with addiction and their family members, about what's worrying them and what's working for them. And among those interviews, she and I sat down and talked for a bit. We'll hear all of this and more after a quick break to get a message from one of our sponsors. Addiction in the Family is brought to you in part by the generous support of Windmill Wellness Ranch, an innovative treatment center located in the beautiful hill country of Texas and serving clients and their families from throughout the United States. I'm Shannon Mollish, CEO of Windmill Wellness Ranch. We offer the best in neurotechnology to heal the brain and the best therapy to heal the mind. Call us today at 210-762-6217. Welcome back. Let's start in with a little bit of that interview that Kira and I did together. I decided I wanted to do a supplemental podcast because we are going through the 2020 COVID-19 coronavirus global pandemic right now, and we've never seen anything like it. And when I say we, I mean you, me, everybody else in the entire world has never seen anything like this before. It's stressful. 
It's weird, it's uncomfortable, it's scary, and I wanted to talk about it and bring experience, strength, and hope to the situation as best I can in the only format I have to do that. So I'm here with Casey. Hey, everybody. And I'm going to ask him a couple questions. By all means. All right. Number one, what is the hardest thing about this pandemic for you personally? Fear. Fear. Fear is the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, and, and it runs in many directions. One direction, mm-hmm. of course, is just personal in the sense of, like anybody, I'm thinking, what does this mean for me? Um, what's yeah. it going to mean for my family? Are we going to be okay? Our little family. I found I was worried for my daughter, first and foremost, um, which is ironic because she almost never leaves the house. <laughs> she's True. got her own mental health stuff going on. I, I've noticed she's been affected, like her lifestyle has been affected almost the least of anyone I know. But she also does not have the world's greatest immune system, and she tends to get things. And so from the very first get-go when I heard about that, I went into some fear for her. And, and she's a young adult. When we sat down and talked about it, frankly, she said she's been worried for me because I leave the house. And she was thinking, well, what would my life be, you know, without my dad? So there's some of that personal fear. Um, I had some financial fear. You know, how is this going to impact our finances and our career and I discovered that like a lot of people that I've been talking to professionally and personally and especially people in recovery you know a lot of the old childhood stuff is coming up a lot of issues that I thought have been kind of laid to rest or put to bed or you know were good enough uh, those those guys have been coming back up you know the fear of abandonment the the financial thing you know if my family's not doing well then I must be blowing it you know I, I didn't cause the pandemic but the thought still comes up. If it if things aren't going well, then it's me. Um, and some of that's my old childhood stuff, you know, rearing up its head that I'm going to lose the people I love, or that I'm going to make some mistake that I can't see coming, and and I won't realize that I've done it till it's too late. And so a lot of those things have come up. And and then my fear for everybody else, you know, that little kid part of me, that the little boy that just wanted everybody to be okay, and I can't do it. I couldn't do it then. I can't do it now, but I'm a social worker and I'm an addiction counselor and I'm a man in recovery who is, you know, I'm not trying to overblow it, but really dedicated my life to trying to help other people be okay in really difficult circumstances because that's what we're dealing with with addiction. We're dealing with this disease that people get that can kill them and the whole time they don't think they even have it. And so here comes another disease out in the headlines. <laughs> here, and you could get this, and it could kill you, and you could walk around and you don't even have it, and you could be giving it to the people you love, and all those things hit pretty hard. So that's been the most difficult thing, is has been that sense that I need to make sure the people around me are okay, and I need to stay okay for the people around me. And then on a purely selfish level, I, I just want to be okay. Yeah. Yeah, the fear does bring up those childhood issues for me as well with things that I kind of thought I had handled, you know, I'm 53 years old and I've done so much work on myself and yet these things will still come up. I 
I went ahead and asked a few other people what their fears are in the midst of this pandemic. Here's what they had to say. I think the hardest part for me personally is thinking about my family and worrying that, you know, they might get sick. And, and you know, the lack of feeling like there's some kind of control. Because there is no control and then the precautions we can take. So it's been pretty difficult. Just the uncertainty of it and, and there's no way of knowing how long it's going to go on and, you know, when things are going to start changing again. So, yeah, that's challenging for me, um, the waiting part. As a person with number one, food addiction, and number two, with a DNA and genome that requires certain types of foods in order for me to continue to have brain and body health, the hardest thing for me has been the fear of not being able to get the types of food that I think I need as well as having the supplements and medicines I need. Which brings up a second fear of not being able to continue to live a thriving and meaningful life if that happens. One thing that's changed for me, Casey and I used to play out as musicians. We, we had these jazz shows that we would play twice a month. and. We don't get to do that anymore. We're not playing those shows anymore. Uh, the last one that we played, we had no idea it would be the last one that we were gonna play. And the next one that was booked, our keyboardist called and said, are you guys you know, gonna do it? And we had to say no. In our first episode, we interviewed a guy named Steve, and he mentioned the three C's of Al-Anon. Um, I didn't cause it, I can't control it, and I can't cure it. And I think of that as something that can be used in a lot of areas, including this pandemic. You know, I didn't cause the pandemic either. It wasn't you, it wasn't me, it wasn't any of you people out there. I can't control what is coming. I can't cure it. People are working on that, but I personally am not working on a cure, so I can't, you know, just work harder and make it happen. The only thing I can do is either contribute to it or not contribute to it. What do you think is getting in the way of your serenity right now during the pandemic? That's a huge thing. I'm not going to my regular meetings, and that obviously affected my recovery. I really do have a good, close community of sober recovery friends, and not seeing their faces personally has um, had an effect on my recovery, but... Being at work and the fact that I work in the recovery field has helped that aspect a lot. I do stay connected to my sponsor. Not being in meetings for me means I miss out on hearing and staying in tune with the message and the solution. And I'm definitely someone that needs those kind of constant reminders. My inner pessimist will take over, if not. I have to wear a hoodie, I have to wear sweatpants, I have to wear tennis shoes, gloves, and a mask because, I mean, my mom, she has hypothyroid, and then my stepdad also used to have bone marrow cancer, so if they catch it, then they're most likely going to pass, and I don't want that. 
other than not being able to be face to face with people at meetings and hugging people, that's a little challenging. Um, sometimes I will have thoughts of wanting to, you know, eat something I'm not supposed to, or you know, use one of my my food substance of choice. But it's pretty temporary, and so far at this point, it's not been too much of an issue. You know, I have the tools to use um, and the knowledge of how to stay sober long term. Um, so it hasn't affected my recovery that much. Other than, you know, maybe digging a little deeper into my tools for my um, emotional sobriety. Keeping a positive attitude despite what's going on. What are some things that you, Casey, have done or have seen other people do that seem to be more part of a solution? Mm, Thank you for asking that. Well, probably the biggest thing that I've seen is I've really seen the recovery community rally around each other, around anybody who's struggling, because let's face it, with this added level of anxiety, you know, one of the fears I didn't mention as much, I mean, I talked about wanting everyone to be okay, but I'm really worried for anyone out there in active addiction, in early recovery, people that might have, you know, been sort of okay enough without all this, but then with this happening, and on top of it, you know, for our listeners in the U.S., you know, the U.S. government is saying, okay, everybody stay home, we'll send money. (laughs) The best thing you could possibly say to an addict. And then, you know, in one or more states, we're going to close down liquor stores. And I mean, between all those things, there's going to be some people that just go on a tear. There's going to be some people that say, all right, this is it. You know, load it up. There's going to be some people that overdose and die. There's going to be some family members who don't know where where their loved one is or what's happening. And I worry for the family members who have enough to worry about with somebody in their family with addiction without all of this other stuff piled on. So what I've seen that's been the most helpful is I've seen lots of meetings popping up, you know, switching over to phone meetings, switching over to not endorsing any particular service, but, you know, out here it seems to be Zoom a lot, but also Skype, FaceTime, whatever, you know, Google Meetup, whatever it is that's out there, people are using it to find and spread recovery and gather people together that otherwise wouldn't be able to gather. People that are in isolated communities who didn't have any great meetings to go to can suddenly link into a meeting in another city, in another part of the country. And watching one of the recovery fellowships that I attend had a meeting last night and uh, and previous to that last week, the first two times we've done it on video. And I've seen people who attended that meeting months ago who have moved to other states, moved to other cities. I mean, I think we had at least three major cities represented here in Texas and then somebody coming in from out of state who'd moved away who right yeah uh, I thought I might never see again and it still may never see again in person and yet we got to have a meeting together and seeing just our local Al-Anon group you know us on email saying hey here's how you link into all of our zoom and video meetings I know smart recovery's been doing video meetings like all along they're like hey we're right over here <laughs> <laughs> there's already like six or eight of them happening a day and uh, including there's daily meetings for smart friends and family, which is the smart recovery program for family members, that those resources are like working overtime to make sure that recovery is available to anybody that needs it in this time. And like I said, I think more people are going to need it now than ever. 
Yeah, I'm with you on that one. That's probably the biggest thing, and even some of that overlaps. Like, I have a morning phone meeting that I've been going to for years that I'm on almost every day. Um, and the continuity of that going has been fantastic. So I found a lot of it from my recovery has been maintaining that continuity. You know, I get up, I pray, I meditate, I read from a daily reader that I find helpful, I journal, um, I do a little bit of yoga or a light workout. Maintaining those routines in this time where everything else is changing and everything seems uncertain, that's a lifeline for me. But I've also been getting out on social media, and I've probably been feeling more inspired. Uh, I quite honestly joined Twitter, uh, which, by the way, the Twitter handle, at Addiction Family. So you can look up Addiction and the Family on Twitter. And I've been tweeting for the first time in my life. Tweet, tweet. And I, you know, I started that just a few weeks ago to help promote this podcast and get the word out there. And then I watched the conversation start to shift from just people saying, hey, I've got this much time sober, or I'm worried for a family member. All of a sudden, people are, of course, talking about the pandemic, but they're talking a lot about, you know, where are the online meetings and people are giving out resources, um, things like that. So I found myself really noticing that what I'm posting online Noticing the tone, I'd like to think I would have been uplifting anyway, you know, but really going out of my way to say, like, how can we look for the person who's struggling and give them a hand up and give them a kind word? Because a lot of people are posting things like, with everything going on, I really want to drink or I really want to use, can somebody please give me a reason not to? And watching that person get 10, 20, 30 replies within minutes. So trying to be part of that. And also, um, sounds kind of funny, but... Uh, I've been posting the occasional funny video and I'm normally not like a, you know, cute cat video or a cute puppy and baby video, but I, uh, I can attest to that. Yes, yeah, that's true. And recently I found myself going like, you know, maybe we just need to take our mind off that. And, and it, it reminds me of stories I've heard from the great depression when despite all the things going on, people would go to the movie theater and they would watch Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton or Right. One of yeah. those people who could just lift your spirits in a time when the spirits were not feeling so lifty all by themselves. So trying to be part of that and doing this right here with you. Thanks, Casey. Absolutely. I asked some friends and coworkers what they've been doing to stay positive. Here's what they had to say. Truly, I've had the opportunity to be even more dedicated to time each day for prayer and meditation as well as readings in OA and Al-Anon and then different spiritual readings. And those, those keep me grounded when I do that anymore. The thing that I, I did today, I brought out my amends to myself, and I'm keeping it where I can read it from now on. Just doing the things I normally do, like my prayer and meditation and, um, you know, reaching out definitely, reaching out more to people in recovery. I just really try to stay connected to my um, sober community. Well, definitely, I continue to do my morning prayer and meditation and daily readings of program literature, and I'm doing online virtual meetings twice a week. So that is helping me to continue with working my program and staying connected. Before each and every meal, I consciously take time to pray in awe and gratitude for God's power in my life that keeps me healthy with foods. 
with all food thoughts, with eating habits, and, and also healthy in my relationship with others. Helping others, doing service work, that's been a great help. I attend phone meetings, and when I attend Zoom meetings and can't get my Zoom to work because of our inadequate internet service I'm expecting, I, I read the acceptance prayer to help me manage expectations with a very just, it is an inadequate internet service, and it's the best we can have at this time, so there we go. I've reached out more by phone instead of texting. I've adjusted my way of sponsorship, but I keep giving myself in sponsorship, just doing it in different ways than face-to-face. I exercise four to five days a week to release anxiety as well as to keep me strong physically and mentally. And above all, I use the slogan, one day at a time. I just have to do this today. Captain's Log Supplemental. We are now three weeks into the lockdown. The science team seems to be no closer to a cure for the virus, but there is hope to be found in kindness, in community, in the knowledge that we are indeed in this together. After a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors, we're going to check in with some people about where they're finding hope and recovery during this time. Stay with us. Addiction and the Family is made possible in part by you, our listeners, through the power of Patreon. If you want to help support this podcast, simply drop by our support page at patreon.com slash addictionandthefamily, or alternatively, go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and search for Addiction and the Family. Any level of support helps us carry the message, and official patrons get sneak peek excerpts from my book in progress, Realistic Hope, The Family Survival Guide for Facing Alcoholism and Other Addictions. Visit our page on Patreon for details. Welcome back. Kira went ahead and interviewed a number of people about where they find hope and strength for their recovery during this time. Let's hear what they have to say. Where do you find hope? I find hope in talking to people. Um, Just this morning I was at the grocery store standing in line to get in and there was a woman behind me and we were having the greatest conversation about all of the kindness that we're seeing from people and um, all of the good things that that are coming out of us being in this situation. Um, And it was nice to be able to connect and hear somebody else saying, yeah, I'm doing a lot of spiritual introspection at this time, you know, taking the time to do that. And so that gives me hope that, you know, even though this is really challenging and really terrible for a lot of people, it's also bringing out the best in a lot of people. And that gives me hope. I live in San Marcos and there's been some pretty good examples of community outreach from different business leaders and people that I know that are attached to them doing things like delivering groceries to people that need it, even if that's not what their business is. They're, you know, if they sell food, they're taking part of their kitchen order and making boxes of groceries rather than doing menu items for sale, which I think is cool. And then people getting better here. What's going on outside of here 
you still see people come in here at a very low place and slowly get back to remembering who they were, what drives them, what motivates them, what they care about, and they leave with hope. And you can see it on their face, in their mood, in their interactions with people. And so you get to witness from when they come in low to leaving with hope. And you'd have to be pretty hard-hearted to not be hopeful and see that. It's been good to spend time with my family and it feels like things have slowed down a little bit. You know, it's kind of feeling like going back to the basics, you know, what's most important and that's that's my little family at home. So it's been a very good thing. I find hope in my mom and I find hope in God. That is my two main things because my mom is my rock and God is who I talk to every night before I go to bed. I've been so delighted in how supportive my husband and our daughter who lives near in Austin have been in helping me to find foods that are not available online. And so I have really felt a whole new level of understanding and support from each of them. And that's created a deeper intimacy and connection in our relationships. And so that, that's pretty big treasure to get from this. It's been wonderful um, having teenagers quarantine because they actually have to hang out with my husband and I. We get to spend time with them. They're outside more. They're not as distracted as they would be by their friends because they can't hang out with them. So it's been a very good bonding time right now. I actually am in two or three groups on my Facebook. Um, AA quarantined, um, 12 step quarantine recovery, and people are sharing their recovery dates, their um, locations, things like that. And so I'm, I'm actually learning about people all over the United States. That's really cool. So it's really bringing people together that normally wouldn't have been brought together. And people actually who are new um, into um, recovery and only have a couple months or a couple weeks or a couple days sober are reaching out and maybe they wouldn't have normally reached out before and then the responses to those people are wow yeah I mean people are commenting liking and um, to those people and um, I think that's pretty awesome and amazing. I mean, people in recovery are really supportive of each other and you can see that on social media. And, um, and so I find a lot of hope in that. Where I'm seeing hope is, again, where people are coming together. And I guess kind of the hope that I'm carrying around that is that we're going to hold on to that spirit, that that spirit of teamwork, of unity, of compassion, of being able to put a hand out to someone, whether we vote the same way, whether we care about the same things, whether we listen to the same music. You know, the polarization that's happened in this country, which is, I believe, part of a natural sort of breathing pattern that we do. You know, we become more polarized, we become more unified, we become more polarized, we become more unified. Well, at least speaking for America as a society, although I'm, it's certainly not unique to us, we become more unified as a culture and as a society 
when we're in crisis. And we have an opportunity to hold on to that. And typically after the crisis ends, we hold on to some of that unity for a while. Sometimes for a full generation, we will hold on to that idea. And so that's what I'm hoping for right now is that as bad as this is, it brings us together. And I feel like I've seen some of that. I've seen more friendliness. I've seen more compassion. I've seen more kindness. I've seen people able to set differences aside and talk. Um, and the other place I find hope is that as so many meetings have started up online or moved online, uh, planning on going to a recovery fellowship tonight, um, where the, this is the first one of the meetings that we're starting in the local area that wasn't a physical meeting that's starting up a virtual meeting. It's just starting a virtual meeting. And, and the guy who started it said, we don't know what's going to happen after the pandemic dies down. And my hope is, is that it keeps going and that we're still gathering people from all over the place that can come together for recovery. I have a lot of hope for that. We end this episode with an excerpt from an essay Casey wrote called Maintaining Recovery in Quarantine. Humans thrive on connection and struggle without it. Connection has been recognized as one of the most important factors in recovery from addiction, including addiction to alcohol and other drugs, sex and love, gambling, spending, overeating, or anything else people turn to for escape. As many people shelter in place during this crisis, it's easier than ever to isolate and to turn to addictive behaviors for temporary relief. For those who already suffer from addiction, this is a most dangerous impulse. For family members, the fear of a loved one's addiction only adds to the burden of anxiety so many are facing right now. Many people recovering from addictions rely on the connection they find through recovery fellowships. When we are told to avoid gathering together, how can these connections be maintained? Luckily, we live in a connected time and place. Phone and internet recovery meetings and social media groups are thriving for 12-step groups, Smart Recovery, Celebrate Recovery, or any of the other many recovery fellowships. Family members of people with addiction similarly rely on the support of groups like Al-Anon, Celebrate Recovery, and Smart Recovery Family and Friends. Remote meetings for these exist as well. Many phone and internet meetings have been around for years, while others are springing up from scratch as people in recovery work together to maintain their sobriety and serenity in times that push in the other direction. Additionally, most recovery fellowships publish literature in paper and online formats. From daily readers to in-depth how-to guides on recovery, there's a deep catalog of recovery reading to be done for those who suddenly find themselves with time on their hands. There are recovery speakers to be heard on YouTube and a great number of recovery podcasts, including this one. Connection with self is equally important now, as always. This can be done through meditation, journaling, regular gratitude, yoga, and mindfulness. Another great way to feel connected is to be of service to others. There are social media groups forming in many communities in which people who are in need post about the help they need and those who can help support them. Service can also be as simple as posting positive and supportive messages on social media. Remember that social media and news algorithms are constantly refining what you are shown based on what you click and respond to. So if you're constantly reading about the worst news, your feed will fill with the worst stories. If you click and respond to positive stories and recovery posts, you will start to see more of those in your timeline. 
Preparing and eating a healthy meal is a reminder that you value yourself while giving yourself what your body needs to keep going in best health. Speaking of which, don't neglect your mental health. If you need help, it's more important than ever to reach out now. Facilities like Windmill Wellness Ranch offer support for people struggling with addiction, and many outpatient providers, such as in Mind Out Emotional Wellness Centers, are offering counseling by video and phone to help support people with addiction and their families. Links to the online meetings for recovery fellowships for both addiction and for family members are in the notes for this episode on our webpage at addictionandthefamily.fireside.fm. May you find experience, strength, and realistic hope wherever you are today, whether you're at home doing very little or working harder than you'd like. Let's all keep supporting one another. We are all in this together. Thanks for being with us for another episode of Addiction and the Family. In this episode, we discussed some of the ins and outs of recovery in the time of the pandemic and heard the voices of some of you out there talking about how you are coping. As they say in many recovery meetings, take what you liked and leave the rest. Go out and explore the possibilities for recovery in your life and give your loved ones the space and dignity to make their own choices. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe. It means a lot to us. If you know anyone else who could use what we have to offer, please tell them about addiction to the family. If you have comments about this podcast, have a question you'd like to answer it on the show, or want to contribute your voice, or just want to say hi, you can write to us at addiction to the family at gmail.com. We're also happy to be your friend on Facebook, and we can be found tweeting on Twitter. Addiction in the Family is produced, written, and engineered by Kira and Casey Ariaga, with music by Casey. In our next episode, we will start our Spotlight on Recovery series. In each of these episodes, we explore a different family's story of recovery in depth. In the premiere episode, we interview Jay and Myra, a couple who are moving through the challenges of being married and both in early recovery after one of them went through treatment. See you then.